Hello and welcome to the Cinema Lounge. My name is Garrett Inman. I am your host of the Cinema Lounge where we chill and talk about movies. I seem to always forget to say that part <laughs> of of the little intro. I, I need to I need to just have like a script right here in front of me uh, w- so I can just go read it off every every episode. <laughs> um, if you'll forgive me, I might sound a little bit like our uh, you know, screw it. I might sound a little bit like our president a little bit today because I am very tired. And when I say sound like our president, I mean, I might say some incoherent things that might come off as goofy. Uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm very tired right now. I went to bed at maybe like two o'clock yesterday morning, uh, maybe three. I don't remember. Um, and did not sleep well. And then I woke up this morning at 7 in order to watch Finding Nemo, which is the movie in which we are talking about today. Uh, We have a bit of a different setup for the camera. If you're watching on YouTube, watching on Rumble, uh, for the listeners, this doesn't really pertain to you, but it is what it is. A bit of a different setup. I moved the desk back a little bit, put the camera behind it um so i can actually have some like desk props or whatever just to make it look a bit more interesting uh so for right now we got a (laughs) a death star speaker we got a little well for this episode since we are talking about finding nemo we got the uh the, the the squid girl right there and then we got you know a pop figure funko pop thing of uh ron swanson and then we got uncle sam right there because the rest of them are in my closet and i like where they're at (laughs) so yes uh welcome to the cinema lounge we are talking about finding nemo uh it's one of my personal favorite movies uh ever probably my second or third favorite pixar movie i love i'm a big pixar stan uh (laughs) i like a lot of their older stuff um but I did really like Soul that came out last year. Um, since it is summer, uh, Father's Day happened yesterday, uh, Monday when this is being released. So I just want to say happy Father's Day to all the fathers out there. Uh, if it weren't for you, uh, children wouldn't exist. <laughs> if it weren't for uh, dudes and women uh, really being attracted to each other, uh, there would not be any children, so we appreciate you for, um, being attracted (laughs) to the fairer sex, (laughs) um, but yes, happy Father's Day, uh, to celebrate, we're talking about Finding Nemo, uh, first movie I ever saw in theaters, it's about a father and son relationship, also, Pixar has a new movie coming out this, uh, this past weekend, so, it's good timing, you know, (laughs) so, before we get into our little conversation about Finding Nemo and kind of some of the deeper themes and what I personally uh, noticed watching this time around, uh, we are going to talk about This Week in Movie News. Somewhere we can be. My 
stands on golden sand and watches the ships that go sail. Hi. It's hot outside. Hi. How are you? How are you doing? This Week in Movie News is brought to you by Schedule Changes. Disney Plus has announced that uh, with the success of Loki being the most streamed debut of a Disney Plus show, all future releases for shows will be on Wednesdays, while full feature length films will be, still be on Fridays. This was a mistake. Brian Fuller, the guy who brought uh, shows like Hannibal, will be making a movie based off of the Stephen King novel Christine, uh, which will be produced by the studio Blumhouse. Can you get enough? Goodness. Knives Out 2 is getting another cast member added to the already stacked freaking cast. Jessica Henwick, known as Colleen Wing in Iron Fist, and as uh, one of the Sand Snakes in Game of Thrones, will be joining uh, the cast of Knives Out 2. Already cast has been Dave Bautista, Janelle Monae, Katherine Hahn, Leslie Odom Jr., Kate Hudson, Madeline Klein, and Edward Norton in the Netflix original sequel to the 2018 mystery comedy. And I, for one, cannot wait for this movie. Speaking of stat cast, we're getting yet another cast member added to John Wick 4, joining Bill Skarsgård and Donnie Yen. Hiroyuki Sanada, who most recently appeared in the new Mortal Kombat movie, will be joining the cast as a key character named Wantanabe. And I, for one, want to not be waiting to watch this movie anymore. Thank you. That was a bad joke, wasn't it? You don't get it. You see something out there, don't you? Yeah. Let's flip over to the DC Universe real quick. We have some news about uh, the new upcoming long-delayed Flash movie. Grant Gustin, who portrays the Flash on the CW show, will be cameoing in the movie right after Ezra Miller had previously cameoed in the Crisis on Infinite Earths special. We also got a first look of the chest piece for both the flat. Okay, well that happened. Okay. We also got a first look at the new chest pieces for the Flash and Supergirl, both of which looking pretty neat. Tyrese Gibson, star of the Fast and Furious franchise and of the upcoming Morbius movie, has confirmed point blank that Morbius will be a part of the MCU. I guess we'll see how? I mean, Vulture's already in it, so it's not that much of a jump, but... Cool! Hey, Samson, you know what time it is? You know what time it is? That's right. Oh yeah. It's trailer time. We only had one trailer of note that came out this week, uh, at least for me, and that was the final trailer for the new Chris Pratt-led 
tomorrow war. I'm gonna fight. It's not even loaded. Yeah, well, yeah, it's not loaded. It's a pressurized cabin. Why would I load it in the cabin? The bullet goes in the thing and everybody's sucked out. Looks pretty fun. And finally, to tie up this rather short and light news week, let's give out a quick congratulations to all of the Hollywood stars who are getting their stars on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. Congratulations to Carrie Fisher, Ewan McGregor, William Defoe, Michael B. Jordan, Selma Hayek, Tessa Thompson, Macaulay Culkin, Regina King, Bob Odenkirk, Ray Liotta, Jason Momoa, Ming-Na Wen, Francis Ford Coppola, Norman Reedus, Kenan Thompson, Tracy Ellis Ross, and Ricky Gervais. You know, some of those were late, a little belated, but it's fine. It's fine. They got there. So, congratulations to, oh gosh, oh gosh, no. But yeah, congratulations to all of them. Uh, and yeah, light week. And that has been this week in movie news. Beyond the sea, somewhere waiting for me. Do 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 can't. I don't. I don't know the lyrics to that, but I hope you enjoyed that. That one was a bit. Uh, I guess a bit different. Um, in terms of how that was executed. Uh, yeah. I. I'm trying uh, to kind of rework this segment a little bit and maybe make it a bit more I don't know I don't want to say cinematic because that wasn't cinematic at all I just had a couple of more uh shots than just the normal one so I think I want to kind of maybe make it a bit more like a sketch I guess I don't know uh we'll we'll see how that pans out also you gotta love my dog <laughs> uh his name <clears throat> goodness got something lodged in my throat his name is Samson uh and yeah he oh golly i need to i need to get rid of this thing there's like a little sliding thing under the desk but i got a dog his name is samson and he's adorable and he's a handful and he is a little little monster let's uh readjust the camera real quick i accidentally bumped it during the segment so yeah that was this week in movie news if you guys enjoyed that uh, let me know down below in the comments what you thought about kind of some of the news stories. It's it was it was a light week this week, so not a lot to talk about. But nonetheless, uh, I I guess I have some things to say about it. Uh, none of these are really like passionate takes on it. I mean, the first one was the Disney premiere date change or whatever. It's not that big a deal to me. <laughs> It's just kind of, that was more of, for you, the people. I need to work on my Bane impression a little bit. But, you know, that one didn't impact me that much. But uh, Brian Phil Fuller uh, gave us Hannibal. I really enjoyed Hannibal. Uh, season one was really good. Season two, I would dare say, is one of the best seasons of television I have ever seen. And the very last episode, 
may be one of the best episodes of television I've ever seen. Mads Mikkelsen plays Hannibal Lecter to a T. Uh, really good. I didn't quite enjoy season three as much, um, but we will see how Christine works out. Brian Fuller uh, is a great a storyteller. Uh, and Blumhouse is kind of a give or take studio. Uh, they can make some... When, when they get it right, they get it really right. You got like Get Out and uh, Invisible Man. Some really good uh, horror uh, thriller movies. And when they don't get it right, you get crap like Truth or Dare or Fantasy Island. Uh, uh, movies that I would consider abominations, and I haven't even seen them yet. <laughs> so we can, we'll see. Uh, but it seems when Blumhouse gives uh, creative control over to someone who's really competent and knows what they're doing, some really good stuff comes out of it. So we'll see uh, if Christine is on the level of Get Out or Invisible Man, or if this is going to kind of crap the bed and be another truth or dare. Uh, Knives Out 2, got another cast member. I mean, really, the only thing I can add to this is Jessica Henwick, solid actress. I don't think she gets enough material with the stuff she's in. Uh, you know, Love and Monsters uh, is one of my movies that I will rep till the end of time. I think it's just a very fun, enjoyable, uh, semi-family movie. Uh, she's in it as, like, the main love interest, but she's only really in the third act, so she doesn't really get a lot of time to shine, uh, and then, you know, she was in Game of Thrones as one of the worst characters in that show, um, uh, me personally, I despise the Sand Snake, she's not the worst one, <laughs> the main Sand Snake, uh, girl is, uh, one of my least favorite characters on that show, and I was very happy when she died, uh, but in terms of her role there, she was just, she kind of served no purpose, so she didn't get a lot to work with there. Iron Fist was really where she got to flex her acting chops, and I think she did a good job. The issue is that Iron Fist is not a great show, <laughs> so uh, she tends not to pick the greatest projects, I suppose, but let we'll see uh, how that goes with Knives Out 2. I mean, this, stack, this, this, this stacked cast is really... Uh, looking good i mean we've already been over this a few weeks back but like dave batista katherine hahn leslie odom jr are all great actors uh edward norton is amazing so i i think this will be good i like the first knives out uh in theaters and despite not being the biggest ryan johnson stan i cannot deny that he can make a fun movie <laughs> Um, then, you know, Hiroyuki Sonata, we've talked about him before, like a few weeks back. I think he's a phenomenal actor. He was amazing in Sunshine. If you haven't seen Sun Sunshine, go watch Sunshine. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, he's a great actor. He needs more work. Uh, he needs bigger roles. And hopefully, it says he's going to be a key character. So hopefully, like, he gets to play, like, a big role in this movie, Maybe him and, like, Donnie Yen get to be uh, kind of the main allies for John Wick and Bill Skarsgård gets to be the bad guy. I don't know, something like that. I just want him to kind of get a big role um, because he hasn't really gotten uh, headlining roles in a hot second. I, mean, I guess you could count Mortal Kombat, but, 
I mean, you don't, he's, he's barely in the movie, so, you know, uh, Grant Gustin, I like him as the Flash, uh, he, he's good in, his, in, in the role, my issue with the show is the writing, so, uh, I think it's just, it's cool that they're paying homage to that, because, I mean, a lot of TV shows don't get a lot of recognition from movies, so it's kind of cool that they're going to acknowledge this show. So I'm sure longtime fans of The Flash are going to be super stoked about this. Um, I watched the show from season two onward. Uh, see, I rewatch. I went back and watched season one. Seasons one and two were really good. Season three was solid, and then season four onward has just kind of been bunk. <laughs> so. Uh, you know, just my opinion on that, so I kind of stopped watching it, uh, so, n not really a thing, uh, that gets me excited anymore, so I suppose, um, you know, it's cool, but not something I'm hyped for, uh, if, as much as I would be, have been maybe three years ago when I was in high school, <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, the logos looks cool, uh, I forgot to mention that we also got one for, I think, Michael Keaton's Batman, who's going to be coming into this. All the logos look really cool. The chess pieces look neat. Uh, I can't wait for a full suit reveal, because, like, with the Batman, I want to see the, how the cowl fits. I want to see how the entire Flash suit looks, because I'm going to be honest. The Flash suit in the, the Snyderverse looks not good <laughs> it looks like a power rangers suit so yeah I, I i need a full like suit reveal i want it to be a bit more spandexy like this the 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 snyderverse flash kind of just looks it has too much armor on it and it makes him look like a a really crappy power rangers villain i suppose uh so well, I, I'm going to hold out hope on that, plus the movie's been long delayed because, like, it's gone through three directors, and uh, apparently it's just really tough to work on this movie, so, you know, fingers crossed. Uh, Tyrese Gibson says Morbius is a part of the MCU. Really cool. Uh, I, I want to know what that's going to look like, <laughs> but uh, it, it was kind of assumed, at the very least, it was going to have a loose connection to the MCU since... Uh, Michael Keaton was in that trailer. Uh, he is going to play the Vulture in that movie, so obviously there's going to be a connection. Uh, the question is just how much of the connection is going to be there. Um, the the trailer for Tomorrow War looks cool. Uh, it it looks fun. Uh, I don't know why I sighed like I was disappointed. <laughs> I'm very I'm feeling very out of breath when I do these sometimes. So sometimes I just take breaths that sound like I'm about to say something that's like, well, it looks good, but but it looks good. It looks fun. Uh, it's probably not going to be like my favorite movie of the year, but I'm I like Chris Pratt. Uh, I like what's her name, Yvonne. Yvonne. <laughs> Uh, I think she's the lead actress in it. She's been in, like, Chuck. Uh, she's currently in Handmaiden's Tale. Uh, she was in Dexter for a couple of seasons. So, she's a good actress. Uh, I'm glad she's getting some work. Uh, and then I, I'm just gonna echo what I said in the segment. 
congratulations to everybody who got their star on the hall the the hollywood walk of fame um really cool Uh, i'm sure that feels great to those of you who are with the living um it's cool to see carrie fisher get one new and mcgregor a couple of these i'm questioning (laughs) uh macaulay culkin i mean yeah he's famous but if you were gonna give him one i would have said do it early 2000s when home alone was a big thing uh (laughs) but nowadays it's like he's only really famous he has a podcast and He's famous for being the kid that uh, did not say Michael Jackson did things with him. <laughs> so, I, you know, I, I, I like I like him, but that one it just was strange to me. And then Tessa Thompson uh, feels relatively new to the Hollywood scene. So it that it, it is the Tessa Thompson I'm thinking of, right? Because hold on. I'm sorry if you're going to hear me, but yeah, I'm pretty sure Tessa Thompson, yeah, yeah, it's just, it's strange to me that she's, she's relatively new to the acting scene, I think, in terms of being of prominence, because she didn't really gain prominence until 2017, that's when you had, uh, Sorry to Bother You and Thor Ragnarok, and then she kind of blew up since then, so it just seems like Really strange that you're giving uh, Carrie Fisher, Macaulay Culkin, Willem Dafoe, Michael B. Jordan. Well, even Michael B. Jordan, uh, I feel like has been a bit more prominent than her for longer. Um, Ray Liotta, Francis Ford Coppola. You know, you have names like Francis Ford Coppola, Ray Liotta, and these, and Carrie Fisher who are getting these, in my opinion, way too late. I mean, good, they're getting them, but still... They should have gotten these way long ago, but you're giving them some way belated, but then you're giving like Tessa Thompson one that's like four years after she kind of becomes a household name. And even then, I don't know if household name is really uh, one of those things because, I mean, I don't don't think my dad knows who she is, but he knows who Ray Liotta is. So, uh, you know, uh... We'll see. And the only one I didn't know, I don't know who Tracy Ellis Ross is, and I did not do my due diligence to look up who that is. So uh, I guess we'll just move on from that. Very short, even though we're 20. We're, I think we're about 24, 25 minutes. I have a timer running. We're about, hold on, let me take a breath, 23 minutes in, <laughs> according to my timer. Um, so, uh, yeah. We'll, we'll get into this. It was a bit of a shorter, slower news week. Um, and, yeah, not really a lot to talk about. Uh, there was some drama uh, that I could I could talk about, but I, I don't like to get into the drama because mainly it's just superfluous nonsense. <laughs> uh, and the drama I'm referring to is James Mangold uh, getting angry with a guy who isn't excited for... Indiana Jones 5 because of some, uh, I guess, management reasons. Uh, if, if you want to look that up, look it up. I'm not, <laughs> I don't, I don't get, really care. It's super, once I, like I said, superfluous nonsense. <laughs> we have better things to argue and discuss, uh, even if it just is movies. But at the very least, we're not talking about two fully grown men 
having a bit of drama, having a bit of beef over a movie that has just gotten into production. So, yep. <laughs> um, so, yeah. Uh, Finding Nemo is one of my favorite movies of all time. <laughs> I love it. Uh, it was the first movie I ever saw in theaters. My dad took me there uh, when I was like three or four. Uh, no, when I was three. Came out 2003. Great movie. Uh, I really like it. And I watched it this morning uh, because that's what I do. I am a morning movie watcher. I do not know why. Uh, it is just something I do. Because typically, once I get into the day, I have stuff like this to do. I have to edit and film and write. Uh, this week in movie news, I have an internship I'm working. Uh, I have another job I'm working. I help out at my church. So I have a lot of stuff that happens in the middle of the day. And then evening is when I'm hanging out with people. My kind of leisure time where I actually kind of just get to socialize. So mornings are my... Me time, I watch movies then most of the time. Um, but yeah, watched it this morning, uh, really enjoyed it. Uh, pretty pretty well paced. Uh, usually I like to see uh, how a movie does on a, like watching it just in terms of how does it feel like I've watched. Uh, so like I watched The Exorcist a couple days ago for the first time. Uh, it was really well paced for a two hour movie. Uh, I was I was like, oh shoot, we're just now getting in done with the introductory part. We're probably twenty minutes into this, uh, but then it was forty, and it caught me completely off guard because it didn't feel like it had been forty minutes. So I kind of like just checking the time and going, all right. Uh, I feel like <laughs> I feel like we've taken we're about now uh, let's go thirty minutes into it. Oh, we're only twenty. Well, this movie's not doing too well on pacing. Or oh, it, we're forty. Okay, that's good. It feels shorter than it is. And I just kind of like to do that just to see, judge my viewing experience, I suppose. Um, so, yeah. Uh, <laughs> my, my mind went blank. Let's just get into the movie. Uh, if you don't know what Finding Nemo is, I, I can't help you with that. <laughs> it came out 2003. It was like Pixar's fourth or fifth. Uh, animated, computer-generated imaging animated movie uh, that is really beloved today. I mean, Pixar, people like Pixar. People love, love Pixar. <laughs> uh, and especially old Pixar people, just, I don't know if it's nostalgia, but people just, most of those movies are like 8, 9, 10 out of 10s consistently. Uh but this one just kind of hits me at a different level because I am someone who is a sucker for father-son relationship movies. I really like watching movies where they're... I like, like, I like it when there's a parental connection in general, but for me specifically, I like the father-son stuff. Um, and I, I don't know exactly what that is. Um, I don't Because I don't have a bad relationship with my father. Uh, you know, we have a really good relationship, so I don't know, I don't know what the psychology is there, because I also had a really good relationship with my mother, but I don't really gravitate towards, like, mother-daughter stuff, or, uh, I guess mother-son. Well, I, I gravitate, I guess, anytime, I'm trying to think through this now, 
because I really like Father Son. That's the, like the big one that really sticks with me, uh, specifically when it comes to fatherhood. Uh, I really like father daughter relationship movies, and I like mother son relationship movies. So, I guess the only one that I I don't quite love is the mother daughter <laughs> stuff. So, um, but for me particularly, the big one is like father son. You know, Invincible had a big father son dynamic uh, that really works for me. So movies like that, I kind of already am peaked and interested in, and honestly. Since this is the first movie I watched in theaters, it, 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 this could be the reason why I, I get into that kind of stuff because it's about a son or a father going beyond the Call of Duty, going to such extreme lengths to get back his son who disobeyed him, who, who basically spit in his face right before disappearing, but because he loves him so much, he goes after him. And, uh,. I'm going to take a detour real quick, actually. So, when I first wanted to do a podcast, um, I considered some different uh, angles that I wanted to come from. Uh, one was the Cinema Lounge, where we just chill, talk about movies. Uh, a more laid-back setting, even though I, prob- I, probably feel <laughs> I probably feel a bit more anxious than I need to. Um, but the other, the other one that almost happened was... I almost did one that was called Faith in Films, um, and, uh, and, you know, if you're a new viewer, a new listener, you don't know me or whatever, uh, I mean, I've talked about faith a little bit in the past on the podcast, but I'm a Christian, faith is an important thing to me, so I wanted to talk about movies through a faith, a, a faith context, um, the only reason I didn't end up doing that is I... Don't trust myself to be 100% accurate with what I say, uh, uh, to be 100% knowledgeable about that. And uh, some movies just do not have a faith angle to take. But one of the movies that I really wanted to talk about from a faith angle was Finding Nemo because it reminds me so much of the Prodigal Son story. Uh, And this Prodigal Son thing is a very common story that I feel like most people have heard of it. Uh, if you haven't, son, father has two sons. One son works really hard for him. Uh, the other son kind of takes his money, leaves, spends it all, and like gets dirt poor and crawls back to the father. The father accepts him with open arms, holds a party for him, uh, and that's supposed to illustrate God's love for us. <laughs> uh, even though we spit him in the face, he still accepts us with open arms um, when we come back. When we come back to him. So, uh, yeah, that, I mean, that very much reminded me of Finding Nemo. We're Finding Nemo, uh, Marlon, Marlon witnesses his son disobey him directly. He says, do not touch the boat. First off, it was don't go, uh, to off the drop off. Then don't go near the boat. Then don't you dare make another move. Don't you dare touch that boat. Nemo does all that and ends up getting captured and taken away. Uh, a father who did not really love his son or a father who, uh, was not a gracious father probably would have let the son be taken away. Um, but instead Marlon goes after his son. Marlon fights through hell and high water to get his son back. He gets eaten by a whale, takes on sharks, uh, 
takes on jellyfish, rides on turtles, right? And he becomes almost like this uh, Atlantic Ocean legend uh, doing this to get his son back. Uh, and it, it, that was a big thing that it reminded me of. It is a perfect illustration of father's love, uh, of a father's love. And that's why I gravitate towards this movie so much is I love seeing just acts of familial love being carried out to such extreme extents, uh, especially when the person receiving that love does not deserve it <laughs> because of what they did. Uh, yeah, it's, it's a pretty powerful image uh, that that's become such a common thing with the prodigal son. Obviously, in this, it wasn't the prodigal son returning. It was the prodigal father, I guess, uh, chasing after his son and chasing him down because he did love him that much. Uh, he's willing to, like, jump into a pelican's mouth. Um, so, yeah, it that, that was the main reason why I love this movie so much. Uh but let's talk some specifics now. <laughs> I actually took some notes again uh, this time. I stopped taking them for a bit because uh, I thought I would just ramble and just go, oh, well, this note doesn't work, this note doesn't work. But I have tried to simplify it and basically just make up talking points because I do feel like sometimes with these podcasts, I run out of things to say and I cannot remember everything I wanted to talk about or I'll finish, like, I'll finish up an episode and just go, Oh, right. I wanted to talk about this. I'm not about to just edit in another thing of me going, by the way, I forgot to say this <laughs> and then just talk about it too late to too done. So from now on, I'm going to have some show notes, I guess, just to remind me of stuff that I want while watching the movie going, I really want to talk about that. And then to prevent me from forgetting about it. Uh, so first, first off, this movie has amazing animation, like really good. Um, I, you know, sometimes you go back to old animated stuff and it doesn't age well, but this animation was really good, uh, specifically the water. I mean, the water effects, the water uh, ripples, even just them underwater, the, this classic shot of uh, the anemone, the sea anemone, uh, on the ledge, and then just the dark drop-off zone, is beautiful, and it's all because of that water effects, with the glare of the sun kind of coming through the water, ooh, excuse me, and being refracted, stuff like that works immaculately, um, and I think, I think it was like a turn, quick turnaround <laughs> from Toy Story, Toy Story 2, and Monsters, Inc. Say what you will about them. They're really good movies. Uh, Top-tier uh, animated Pixar movies. Um, but <laughs> especially noticeable with uh, Toy Story... <clears throat> excuse me. Goodness. <sighs> especially with Toy Story 1. It doesn't look like a modern Pixar movie. You know what I'm saying? Like, you can kind of tell it was made in the 90s. Uh, and with, I think, to a lesser extent with Toy Story 2 and Monsters, Inc., but you can still tell it's an older movie. 
this is the first one that felt mostly timeless in my opinion uh, and i think it's mainly because you're messing with fish for most of the movie and not humanoid uh creatures i guess with monsters inc you have a one-eyed guy and a furry creature but the I guess what I'm saying is fish don't require a lot of texture to it. Um, you can make them slimy and you can make them scaly if you want to. Making them scaly will age them, I think. And they did a good job of they're smooth and slimy uh, and it doesn't look that old. Uh, besides, I'll say this, there, the boat scene. So right after Nemo gets taken and they're on, there's a shot of the boat on the water and like the guy knocking his mask off in it. That kind of looks like uh, Toy Story a bit. Uh, but besides that, I mean, the animation's fantastic. I mean, there's a reason why Pixar is so big as a company. A, the deep, almost existential themes they uh, explore in their movies from time to time. Uh, and then the other thing is just, they put so much time into their animation, I think. I think they put, for each movie they make, they try to, they try to pick one thing. Every Pixar movie has the one thing they work hard to animate. So with uh, Toy Story, or what am I talking about? <laughs> uh, with Finding Nemo, the one thing they focused really hard to perfect with the animation was the water. Uh, something like Incredibles 2. The main thing was the motorcycle that Mrs. Incredible drives. Uh, let, let me think of one more. With, I think, like Ratatouille, the main thing they wanted to get was uh, the hand move, like the hand movements in cooking. Like they want, really wanted to animate the cooking well. Uh, and when they focus on that, that turns out to be just perfect in terms of animation uh so this is a really good looking movie i also noticed uh the lighting was really good like i said with that drop off shot the lighting is fantastic they go uh they go chase the mask into the trench and it's pitch black and then you see the light the luminescent effects are amazing and then once the angular fish ang angular cheese the angular fish lights up it's perfect uh it's such a well-lit movie uh, the scene in the tank, the uh, fraternity, <laughs> the fraternity initiation in the tank scene, the lighting of that's really good, especially coming from Mount Wanahakalugi. <laughs> uh, that it it it's just a really good looking movie. Um, and then I noticed that, uh, kind of uh, starting it out, the writing of the movie is really fun. <laughs> I, I like a lot of the writing. Uh, anything from Mount Wanahakalugi, uh, if you say it fast, it doesn't sound like anything, but just Wanahakalugi, literally just spit take, um, but stuff like that, or, uh, Marlin insults a seahorse by calling him Pony Boy, <laughs> uh, uh, he says, like, fry them up and serve them with chips, because fish and chips, just simple stuff like that kind of just made me giggle a little bit. Uh, there's a, there's some subtle moments that went over my head when I watched it as a kid. Uh, Marlin chases, the boat stops, he surfaces, and then he has to go back underwater, <gasps> take a breath, go back up, and hold it. And it's like, 
Nemo, Nemo. Although, I will say this. I don't understand how that works. Usually, well, I guess when you hold your breath to go underwater, you can talk. But the amount the fish talk above water is a bit insane. <laughs> but that's besides the point, I guess. But just subtle moments of him above water, him going below and going... <sighs> going above water to hold it. I mean, Nemo does the same thing uh, when he tries to jump into the water filter. So it's just, it's a fun, uh, subtle thing that isn't called too much attention to uh, that would be like, oh, well, yeah, obviously fish would do that if they acted like people. Obviously, when they co would come to surface, they would hold their breath because they can't breathe in air. Uh, so it's just subtle stuff like that to make them feel more anthropomorphic than they are. Because uh, that's the other thing. These fish are definitely, like, they're, they're not like, they're not like Zootopia anthropomorphic animals, but clearly the fish are anthropomorphic to an extent. They talk like people. They act like people. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry to the listeners. I'm making random noises. Um, but, like, they're anthropomorphic to an extent, right? They talk. They have teeth. Most of the fish have teeth in the movie. Uh, you know, they're moving their fins like hands, stuff like that. So it's clearly somewhat anthropomorphic, and it makes them feel more human when they do subtle stuff like the take a breath underwater and pop out over water just to make them behave more like humans. I love it. Um, yeah, uh, just subtle stuff like that makes it makes it feel more real. Uh, yeah, Marlon uh, was a great character in this. I think Marlon's the guy you identify with the most because uh, I remember as a kid going, oh, well, Marlon's just being a horrible, not a horrible dad, but he's he's being way too overprotective. Why is he being way too overprotective? This one is like, th this time around, I was just like, well, it's so clear. Marlon is overprotective because he, when he was like a newlywed or about to be a new dad, uh, he witnessed, almost witnessed his wife and most of his kids get eaten by a barracuda uh, because they were a bit too uh, nonchalant, I suppose. And so after that happens, you another subtle thing is uh, the anemone is now further into the reef uh, instead of on the edge. And I don't know if it's a new anemone or if like they somehow picked it up and moved it. But at first I was thinking, oh, well, that's a, uh, that is a continuity error, but first you got to think Nemo's a kid now, so clearly some time has passed, uh, some fish time, a few years in fish time has passed, but also that would make sense because Marlon wouldn't want to live in that area anymore because it would remind him too much of death, but also to be safe, he doesn't want another Barracuda incident happening, so it's just, that's a nice subtle moment. But, yeah, that's why he panics when they go to the drop-off. Because that's where he lost his fam most of his family last time. He doesn't want to lose the remaining instant of that. That's why he's so overprotective of the kid. Plus, Nemo's got the little nub, nub fin. <laughs> the little nub fin. So, it makes sense. And you really identify with him. And his whole journey throughout the movie is kind of learning to let his kid live a little uh, in terms of experiencing life, right? And Dory is the perfect foil for that. Dory 
is fun-loving, carefree, right? Forgetful, but she just does everything on impulse, which also isn't great because that gets them into trouble. So both of them kind of just find that middle ground a little bit where Dory has to learn to kind of uh, think more responsibly while Marlon has to learn to kind of let go and have fun every once in a while. Uh, you see that with... You see that with the jellyfish, right? He is focused on survival and then tries to turn it into a game for Dory so they can get out of there alive. But then he gets wrapped up in the moment, has fun. But then something bad happens, so he's back to his old self. And he's like, oh, well, I don't, I don't, I don't want to do commit to fun anymore. Uh, but the end of the movie, uh, the scene where he finally turns, I think, is when they're in the whale. Uh where the whale comes up on them, eats them, and they think they're going to die. Marlin is convinced, you're stupid shenanigans. Uh, we're going to die because of you. This this whale's going to eat us because you just wanted to act on impulse and be trusting. But turns out Dory can speak whale. Uh, and the scene where the whale lifts the tongue and says, time to let go. <clears throat> very, <laughs> very uh, blunt with the with the metaphor but you know the whale says it's time to let go dory says we like just goes with it and marlon catches her and says whoa whoa whoa, whoa we can't be doing that uh and i actually wrote the line down here uh dory's like come on we got to do it and uh he says how do you know something bad isn't gonna happen and dory just goes i don't and that's that convinces him to let go uh some powerful, uh, that was a powerful moment for me that I did not remember happened in the movie, uh, because it's just Marlon sitting there going, always living in fear that, uh, something bad's gonna happen. He's, uh, 100% a pessimist, you know, right before when the water's lowering, uh, he goes, oh crap, now it's half full, and Dory goes, oh no, silly, it's, it's, uh, half full. Ah, dang it, I messed up the line. Uh, I sound like Marlon right now. No, when he says, it's half empty, and she goes, well, no, it looks half full to me. That that perfectly illustrates their views on the world. Uh, Dory always sees the best in people, always is super unassuming, super trusting, while Marlon is always skeptical. Anytime something even looks slightly out of place, he's instantly distrustful. Uh, he's instantly assuming the worst. When he's riding Crush, wakes up on Crush, and sees Dory lying on a sea turtle mumbling to herself, he automatically assumes she's dying, she's not doing too well, and he swims down and is like, oh, I'm so sorry, Dory, you're going to die because of me. Turns out she's just playing hide-and-seek. He always assumes the worst, and because he always assumes the worst, he's always overprotective of Nemo. He's always living in in fear of what could happen rather than just kind of letting go a bit and letting life happen to him. Uh, and that scene in The Whale is just the perfect illustration of that, the perfect turning moment where he finally decides, let's let go and let a bit of the unknown into my life. Uh, and, and that scene was just <laughs> super powerful to me. Uh, so... Let's let's jump on some some more lighthearted stuff, I suppose. Uh, so uh, there's a lot of fish racism. <laughs> I was watching it. I'm just like, 
dang, these fish are a little racist. I'm not going to lie. Every time Marlin meets someone, they go, oh, you're a clownfish, right? Clownfish are pretty funny. Tell us a joke. <laughs> and it's like, dang, like it happened once. And I go, oh, well, it's probably just a one-off thing. But that's kind of, that's kind of funny because that could be construed as fish racism. But then they meet the sharks and like, first off, uh, one of the shark, no, all of them just hate dolphins. They said fish are, fish are friends, not food. And one of them is like, except for those dolphins. So I guess shark, this is like an anti-dolphin shark group. Um, but also they meet Marlon and say, oh, well, you're funny, right? So you can, you can uh, tell jokes. Uh, so it's a running joke, but it's also kind of like, oh, that's kind of funny. <laughs> through the modern day lens. They, they're kind of being racist towards towards Marlin, uh, my clownfish boy. <laughs> so, it, just just a funny little thing I noticed. <laughs> uh, uh, speaking of the sharks, I love the shark AA meeting. Did not realize it was an A. See, I guess the thing you got to understand me talking about this. This is um, this is me talking about a movie that I haven't seen since I was like, uh, in single digits probably, <laughs> like. I know I just said it was one of my favorite movies ever, and it is, and watching it again solidified it, but the way I go about some movies, I don't rewatch movies a lot, and kind of doing this podcast is forcing me to rewatch certain movies, which I love, it's great, but usually when I'm by myself and I'm going to sit down and watch a movie, I want to watch something I've never seen before, so I can experience something new, so I don't usually go back and rewatch a lot of stuff, I just know and remember the stuff that stood out to me and my general feelings on it. Uh, so sometimes I'm a bit, you know, when I'm a kid, I love stuff. So like the Star Wars movies, oh, I love them. And I haven't rewatched them a lot in the past years. You know, I haven't watched the Star Wars movies uh, besides the new ones uh, in the past maybe five to six years. So five to six years ago, I was like a 14, 15 year old, but I still know my general feelings on it. Uh, so... Maybe I need to rewatch those, but what, so when I'm saying like, oh, I don't quite remember it being this way. This is me as a legal adult going back to a movie I watched all the time as a child, uh, an innocent child. So I don't recognize, I don't remember recognizing this stuff. So it's fun to kind of child to adult comparing those. Uh, so with all that being said, the shark AA meeting was great. Uh, because it's just recovering fishaholics, I suppose, where they're trying to, you know, hi, I'm Bruce, hi, Bruce, and I'm, what do you say, like, three days, I'm three days, I haven't eaten a fish in three days, you know, stuff like that, it's just fun little touches, once again, making the fish world feel more human, uh, and then, you know, they get in a fight, uh, I remember as a kid being kind of struck, like, oh my goodness, there's blood in a kid's movie. And I'm like, oh my, and nowadays I'm like, oh my goodness, there's kids in a 2000s, early 2000s kids movie. Uh, and I guess they pushed for that really hard just because that's the only thing that's going to trigger a shark. Uh, and I guess let's build on that real quick. They do a really good job of making these fish being anthropomorphic, but they also, for the most part, are scientifically accurate. Uh, clownfish live in sea anemones because sea anemones sting people, uh, or sting fish, I suppose. 
Uh, so it would make sense that the clownfish would be able to live in that. Uh, well, clownfish do live in that in real life because they're, uh, they don't feel the sting. Uh, and so in exchange, the sea anemone kind of lets them live there. Uh, if the clownfish chases other fish in there to get stung and get eaten by the sea anemone. Uh, sea anemones are living creatures, just to put that out there. Uh, but it would also make sense then why later in the movie, Marlin doesn't get really stung or doesn't really feel the effect of a tiny little uh, jellyfish sting while Dory's like, holding her thin and going, ow, 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 you know, like feeling intense pain because uh, Marlin has a bit of resistance to to stings. So just stuff like that. You have, uh, let's see, I mean, the interior of the whale mouth, as far as I'm aware, looks pretty accurate. Um, uh, let's, let's, let's think of some more fish accuracy. <laughs> uh Man, I can't think of anything off the top of my head now. I mean, the pelican thing, the pelican pouch, that's where that... I'm pretty sure that's where that became, like, a general thing. Like, pelicans have that little uh, sack of skin that allows them to put stuff into their mouths and kind of hold it. So, they equipped that, and that's why they make Nigel a prominent character instead of, like, a seagull. Stuff like that is just... They did their due diligence to make sure they could get uh, the accuracy of animals down, even if it's just something as simple as the pelican has as a mouth pouch, uh, in order to help serve the story, uh, which is really clever and really, uh, really just admirable on the part of the writers, because I don't know if I would have that kind of patience or time or... Uh, I would put that kind of effort into something like that. Um, yeah. Uh, one thing that I liked that I, once again, didn't notice as a kid. Uh, I love that the fish tank gang uh, is very knowledgeable about dentistry, where they're just arguing about the different uh, tools the dentist is using on a, a patient and, uh, like, the different holds or whatever. Like, it, it's pretty. it's pretty funny. Uh, and just, once again, fun little aspect about the movie, uh, to make the characters just feel more real, <laughs> because they've lived in this fish tank for who knows how long, so obviously they're gonna pick up on some stuff and probably learn a bit about dentistry, uh, but, yeah, it's a very fun little crafted world, uh, I think all of the characters that they present are memorable, uh, to, to more or less uh, extents, you know, you got Marlin, you got Dory, uh, Nemo, like, those three are obviously super popular, but then you got, uh, hold on, you got, ah, dang it, let me move the mic out of the way real quick, you got this fella right here, <laughs> we got a toy of him, uh, I forget his name, maybe Sam, I mean, it, it would be Sam, right, but he's an eagle ray, uh, who, you know, the scientist guy, the explorer, but, I mean, you have him, he's he's a fun character, and I think mainly with him, it's just, oh, he's the teacher, he sings his little songs. Uh, you got the tank, the fish tank gang, anyone there from Gil to, uh, to uh, the others whose names, I don't know, the bubble, you know, you got Bubbles, who just loves his bubbles, you got uh, Peach, the starfish, who's just 
sitting there learn like reading crap. Uh, you got, uh, I think his name is Bloat or, or Tub or something like that, but the pufferfish who constantly blows up. You have the hypochondriac guppy. Uh, so characters who are just like memorable, memorable to where, oh yeah, yeah, no, I know that who that is. I know like their general role. You got Crush. Crush is easily an iconic character from this movie. So they did a good job making characters that just instantly pop uh, for you in the moment and you can go back and just remember them even if you don't remember their names uh yeah uh dude holy cow that i already went over all my notes i'm going to end then i'm going to end the discussion because it's a really good movie i mean most people have seen it by now uh so and i've talked about like the main things i want to talk about but uh i'm going to finish off with easily probably one of the most iconic lines uh from the movie which is what do we do when we get down just keep swimming uh that just stuck out to me because it's like it's such a good lesson for a kid to hear right when life sucks when uh all of the just all the situations you get yourself into in life uh are just bad (laughs) when you feel like giving up when you try to work really hard to start a podcast and your technology constantly gives out on you, just keep swimming. Uh, just pow- you know, just keep living life, keep working through it. Uh, when you know you move to a new school and uh, you can't find any new friends, just keep swimming. You'll find them. You'll find your place in that school eventually. Uh, it'll it'll be hard sometimes. There'll be currents. There'll be fish that come after you (laughs) i'm i'm very leaning very heavily on on the uh finding nemo analogy but there you will get there eventually you will find a way if you continue to swim and continue to just be persistent at it uh to quote ian malcolm from jurassic park life uh finds a way (laughs) uh and you will find a way to as long as you keep swimming so yeah, that's my motivation, my motivational little moments. <laughs> uh, yeah, so we'll wrap up then, I suppose. Uh, a bit of a shorter episode again, mostly because the news was short this this week. Because I think I, I talked about the movie usually as long as I usually talk about all other movies, but eh, whatever. Uh, yeah, let's ramp up with our new segments, the release radar and weekly recommendations. So, release radar, I have a handful of them for you this week. You got Fatherhood, which is currently on Netflix, starring Kevin Hart. It's a serious uh, drama that personally looks interesting to me, mostly because I kind of, uh, not particularly, like, identify with the situation, but, like, I definitely, it's something I'm living through right now. Uh, But the the premise is, a father brings up his baby girl as a single dad, dad, after the unexpected death of his wife, who died a day after their daughter's birth. Um, it looks like it, it'll probably be solid. I haven't seen it. Currently on Netflix, go check that out. Uh, just that's something that piqued my interest, because it's Kevin Hart doing a serious role, uh, and then the situation in the movie is a little bit similar to Home Life right now. Uh, if you know me, you know that. Uh, I, I don't know. Have I talked about this on the podcast yet? I don't know if I have. Um, but... Yeah, mother died uh, last year, past December, and so 
this is kind of something that uh, home life is like with a father who's trying to be a single dad now. Granted, not a baby girl. Uh, so adult children, well, me an adult child, two just recently adult uh, daughters, and then a like middle school age now kid. So it's similar, but not like, it's not one-to-one, -one, but it's similar. And I, I kind of want to see if it brings out any feels in me and I want to cry. <laughs> uh, the Sparks Brothers is a documentary being directed by, uh, YA has his name slipped in mind. Uh, shoot. <laughs> uh, directed by Wright, Edgar Wright. There we go. I don't know why his name just slipped my mind. Uh, documentary directed by uh, Edgar Wrights. It's in theaters right now. Uh, it's about, it's described as a musical odyssey through five weird and wonderful decades with Ron and Russell Mail celebrating the insp inspiring legacy of Sparks. Uh, not entirely sure what that is. Uh, I know it's a band, but it's Edgar Wright, and I'm an Edgar Wright stan, and I will watch anything and everything Edgar Wright. So, this is something I'm interested in. Go check it out if you like Edgar Wright or if you like Sparks, I guess. <laughs> uh, next, we got Luca. Obviously, the new Pixar movie that just came out on Disney+. Plus. Uh, on the Italian Riviera, an unlikely but strong friendship grows between a human being and a sea monster disguised as a human. Uh, it's Pixar, so I'm going to check it out. I mean, I'll probably check it out either today or tomorrow. <laughs> uh, but yeah, if you have Disney+, Plus, which... I mean, come on, you, you're lying if you don't have access to a Disney Plus account. Like, I'm not paying for it. I'm using a friend's, but still, you have access to Disney Plus. So go watch that if you feel like it. Um, And then last two are a bit smaller, but, you know, important enough to the right people, I suppose. So first off, we got the iCarly uh, reunion series uh, where, come on. It's iCarly. You know who... If you watched iCarly, you're going to want to watch this. If you didn't watch iCarly, you don't care about this, you know? But everyone's heard of iCarly and knows what it's about. So it's just the continuing series of that. Uh, Sam is not going to be in it. I think I've heard Gibby is in one episode, maybe. Uh, possibly. Uh, and Jeremy Trainer, who plays Spencer, I think that's his name, has said that there are going to be sexual situations in it <laughs> so it's it's going to be a bit more of an adult take uh and a bit you know since they are all the characters are going to be adults now living their lives so if you if that's interesting to you go check it out on paramount plus if you don't have paramount plus you probably let's face it most people don't um but if you can get it for free, like a free trial, or you want to pay for it, it's on there. Uh, Yellowstone, I think, is on Paramount+. Plus. That's a great television show. So there's some stuff to check out um, on there. And then lastly, Physical Season 1 has started putting out its episodes on Apple TV+. Plus. If you've seen trailers for it, uh, and it looks interesting to you, go watch it. It's about a woman struggling in her life as a quietly tortured housewife, and she finds a... An unconventional path to power through an unlikely source, the world of aerobics. <laughs> uh, it could very easily be a very cringy girl power type show, or it could be a very fun and satirical take on an, 
aerobics empire because the trailer makes it look like she starts earning money she becomes an aerobics instructor and it looks like good fellas but with aerobics uh and i hope that's what it is and not some cringy uh woman i'm gonna put this in quote woman empowerment movie in which the woman is not really empowered it's just crap happens and she kind of comes out on top so i'm i'm leaning more i hope it's more like goodfellas but with aerobics <laughs> uh and then my weekly recommendation to you i talked about this last week or the week before uh and that is family man family man is on amazon prime it's about a dude named Shri. his name is shrikant tiwari uh it's an Indian show, and it's about him working at Task, which is basically like the country's CIA, but like no one knows about it. So he's a secret agent taking on ISIS terrorists and Sri Lankan uh, rebels uh, to try to stop attacks and people dying in India. It's a great show. There's four one-take action sequences uh, that are amazing. There's a uh, car chase that turns into a foot chase all on one camera there's a hospital raid that they filmed at an actual active hospital that was taking patients as they filmed this where isis raids this hospital to free uh somebody and it's just amazing there's one in season two where uh i sajid uh who is one of the major antagonists of the show uh takes a group of Sri Lankan rebels to raid a police station and then there's one in the last episode of season two which is my favorite where it's a shootout between the Sri Lankan uh, rebels and the task agents and it's a shootout that then turns into them chasing a motorcycle on foot then that then changes into them hopping into a jeep chasing down a plane uh, and it is freaking amazing <laughs> Uh, so if that sounds interesting to you, uh, go check it out. I highly recommend it, but I can understand if, uh, it, it's an Indian show. They, so most of the characters speak either Hindi or a big part of season two is there's some care, a lot of characters that speak Tamil. So if reading subtitles is something that you don't like to do when watching shows completely understand, it's probably not going to be for you. But if you like good TV and you don't mind the subtitles, I mean, it, it's top tier uh, current streaming shows right now. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Great show. Uh, that has been it for today for the Cinema Lounge. Um, go check us out on YouTube. If you're watching on YouTube, press the subscribe button, hit the notification bell. Uh if you're watching on Rumble, subscribe, rum, hit the Rumble button, I guess. Uh, listening on Spotify, follow us on there, Apple Podcasts, give us a five-star rating, and follow us on here. Uh, anywhere else you listen to podcasts, follow us, give us a like if that's something they do. Uh, and yeah, that is it for this Animal Lounge, where we chill and talk about movies. My name has been Garrett, your host... And don't forget to just keep swimming. And just keep swimming. <laughs> Good night, y'all. I love you. Somewhere.
beyond the sea. 